So I'd like to invite you to please turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, after a warning at the beginning of Hebrews 6 regarding the dangers of falling away from the faith, the writer of Hebrews, then beginning in verse 9, now encourages these Christians. His tone is warm, his tone is affectionate, he calls them beloved, and he commends them for their faithfulness in serving. Hebrews chapter 6, we will read verses 9 through 12. This is God's holy and authoritative word. We believe in the power of God's word to do God's work. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are the faithful God. Any consideration of faithfulness begins with you as the faithful God who empowers us to be faithful. You are the God of our salvation. You are our strength and our song. And though as we have sung, we often sin against you, you daily bear us up in your kindness and your mercy. We come to you now to receive from your truth. Lord Jesus, you know how to sustain with a word those who are weary. You speak through the power of your grace. The king of love is on his throne, reigning and ruling. You give power to the faint. A bruised reed you will not break and a faintly burning wick you will not quench. Holy Spirit, come and dwell among us. Comfort us, encourage our hearts this morning. Bear your fruit in our lives, we pray. Help us to not be slothful in zeal, but to be fervent in spirit as we serve our Lord, as we serve you, the God who has saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. It is one of the remarkable truths that as Christians, the Spirit of God has been placed within our hearts and has given us a desire to serve. You and I now as believers through the work of the indwelling, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit have been given a desire to be a blessing in the lives of others. 
This is remarkable because it has not always been this way. We once lived with a desire to serve ourselves. We once viewed life in terms of our own self-interest, but now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has appeared and this grace has changed us forever. We have been made servants of God. We have been made servants of one another. And now we want nothing more than to hear the voice of our Savior, the God who has loved us and given his life for us, to hear his voice speak over us the commendation of Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. It is on your heart to be faithful to serve. If you are a believer, you grieve when you fail and fall short in this and you desire to press on and be faithful to serve all the more. This passage, these verses that we read, reveal the kind of service that God desires. By way of introduction, let's just look at some of the phrases here to get oriented to the text. In verse 10, that phrase, serving the saints. So that tells us that God delights when other Christians are the recipients of our service. It is good and necessary for us to serve unbelievers as well, uh, but the accent of Scripture falls especially on serving believers and on Galatians 6.10, doing good to those who are of the household of faith. It's serving the saints that is especially in view here. All kinds of serving of the saints is in view Uh, hospitality, certainly, all kinds of helps, administration, encouragement, counsel, caring for others, meeting needs. It certainly includes serving the church in musical worship, serving the saints. And then there's the phrase at the end of verse 10, right after that, as you still do uh, serve. In the original, the word serve is actually repeated They're serving the saints as you still do serve them. As you still do tells us that God delights in our perseverance in serving the saints. It's not just something you were doing back then. It's not just something that you gave yourself to for a short time and then you've given up. As you still do means you've persevered in this over the long haul. You have endured. You have been faithful. You're still going at it. You haven't given up. What we are aiming for, friends, is not a short burst of energy that lasts only for a time, but for service that plods and perseveres over time through difficulties. You keep going through weariness. You keep going through criticism, through setbacks, through relational challenges, I am convinced that weariness, or as it's put in verse 12, sluggishness, that you may not be sluggish, this is one of the great enemies of faithful service. I didn't anticipate that as a younger man in ministry, a younger man in life, that I would Uh, encounter weariness the way that I have. I just assumed, okay, weariness is something that becomes a challenge later on in the race. I should have known, right? It's not like God could be any more clear when he says even youth will grow weary and faint. Right there it is. 
Um, and yet I was taken off guard in my own life by the reality of, of weariness. Uh, serving as a pastor, the needs of the church. Uh, father of five in November, about to be a father of six. Uh, the pace of life, the desire to be a faithful friend to many. I have learned not only through the teaching of scripture but through my own experience what it means to be weary. For me, it usually looks something like this, the signs of of sluggishness. My wife begins to notice that I'm burdened, that I'm distracted, that I may be a bit more quiet than I usually am. I start to feel like entire months of the year are shot because my schedule's too busy. You know, have you ever had that? Like, you look, well, I guess these next four months are shot uh, of, you know, of your life. That, for me, is symptomatic of, of weariness setting in. I try to ignore email because it begins to depress me. I find myself, when there are, are opportunities for service, when weariness begins to set in, I, I just start to look forward to being on the other side of service rather than anticipating how God will meet me and meet others in that service. I wonder what it's like for you. Do you struggle with, with persevering, with the as you still do that God calls us to in our service? Has your soul grown sluggish in ways? Has your soul grown weary The weary soul has drooping hands and weak knees. The weary soul is exhausted. The weary soul is aware of a diminished joy in personal worship. The weary soul no longer anticipates the Sunday gathering as you once did. The weary soul experiences a level of apathy in preparation, in practice. The weary soul has given up on trying to lead and grow the congregation in aspects where they might be weak or reluctant, their expressiveness, their enthusiasm, flexibility in style. You've just said, all right, this is just gonna be the way it is. It's the, you throw up your hands, you give up. Is your soul weary? As you still do serve is a call from God to every one of us to persevere. And I, I picked this text for this conference. It's one of the things about getting an assignment. You can pick a text. I, I selected this text because I am eager to encourage you in your present service. And I believe that the Holy Spirit desires to minister to us here today, to minister to those who have grown weary or sluggish in your service of the saints, in your service of others. The Spirit of God is present to bless and to encourage and to strengthen our hearts this day. One other phrase that I wanted to notice at the outset there in verse 11, it's the next phrase, each one of you. Each one of you. What does that tell us about God's heart, God's desire? Well, that he desires every single one of us to persevere in faithfully serving the saints. It's not like, okay, those people are serving, so they've got it, so I can sit on the sidelines. Each one of you. 
is a gracious call to those on the outskirts of service. It is an exhortation to not exempt yourself from this service of the saints. So the question that we want to consider together today, therefore, and it's the question that this passage speaks to, it is a question that I've been reflecting on personally in my own service whenever I preach. I am preaching first and foremost to myself. We are together in this, sitting under the authority of God's word. The question that we want to consider is this. How can each one of us be motivated to persevere, as you still do, type of perseverance, in faithful service of the saints? How can each one of us be motivated to persevere in faithful service of the saints? And specifically, how can worship leaders and band members and singers and songwriters and sound members be re-envisioned for faithful service in the church? How do we now and in the future when sluggishness sets in, how do we fan into flame a greater passion for continued service of the saints, especially in musical worship is where our application will lean. Four points from these verses. First, and I pray that each one of these would be uh, fuel in service to your soul, that each one would, would spur us on all the more in the service that God has called us to, faithful to serve. First, know that God sees your faithful service. Know that God sees your faithful service. Verse 10, we'll spend most of our time in verse 10. It is a beautiful thing. Here, our God makes a promise to us. He promises to you on the basis of his character. God is not so unjust. He promises that your service will not be overlooked by him. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have showed for his sake in serving the saints. Now, notice that the promise is not that the saints won't overlook your work, right? Other people will at times overlook your service. Some of you know what it's like to receive more criticism than encouragement. You experience it in the home, in your marriage, at work, even as you serve the church. The people around you, it feels, seem to be more aware of your shortcomings than they are aware of your sacrifices. Your service is overlooked, your service is taken for granted, your service is disregarded. Have you ever had that moment in serving in worship where you realize that no one seems to notice if you make a huge mistake or do an incredible job besides other band members. You know, they're tracking it. But everyone else is just like, great job, thanks for serving. It's like, I don't know that they're tracking when I do well, when I don't do well. Or have you ever had this experience? You're uh, in the congregation, not serving on that particular morning, and as you're there worshiping, the thought occurs to you, uh, there's the instrument that I play, someone else playing it, 
and I can't hear it at all. <laughs> or the vocalists are up there, and you're a vocalist, and you can't hear the vocal. That's always an encouraging moment, you know.、Uh, I'll just keep telling myself that my service really is making a difference. For those whose service has been overlooked by others, here is a precious truth for your soul. God reminds you today. He reminds me today that our Father in heaven sees. And delights. He will not overlook. He sees your service in Christ, and he is pleased by it. We tend to think that there is nothing commendable in our service. There's nothing in my life God would possibly take notice of or delight in. Hebrews six ten takes that thought and says it is absolutely wrong, and it is dangerous. Here's a here's a sentence from Wayne Grudem that I've been reflecting on recently. It's a short sentence. He says Satan seeks to keep believers from the great joy of knowing the favor of God on their daily activities. What does Satan do? He works to keep. Believers, unaware, blinded to the favor of God on their daily activities. Are you not aware of the favor of God, the pleasure of God in your daily activities, in your service, in your obedience? That's what Satan does. Keeps us. What is it that a father does when when a child does something commendable and well? Just stand there, arms folded. No, sweep up the child and embrace them. High five. Well done. There's a commendation. My kids have seen this、uh, in me and have even picked up, you know, commending me in the same way. So my four-year-old daughter, not too long ago, walked in to the bedroom. I happened to be making the bed that morning. I think it was the first time in years, and she just got this surprised look on her face, and she said, "Good job, Daddy. I didn't know you knew how to make the bed." Just sort of this, this. You know, I thought, okay, you know, you could do without the condescending tone. Thank you for your, for your encouragement. Well, this is what we do, right? Good job, you're doing well. Why would we think that our that our Father in heaven would view our service any differently? And some of us need to realize in a new way that as we are singing the praises of our God, He is rejoicing over us. With singing, I have a concern, beginning with myself, that few Christians seem to be living in the strength, in the encouragement of knowing that God sees our service and is pleased by it. And the more I've thought about this, the more I'm convinced that this is one of the great causes of weariness in service. We have not learned to rejoice in knowing that God Himself rejoices in our service. Many are the Christians who live with low-grade feelings of ineffectiveness in their service, worship leaders included. You go home Sunday afternoon. You start the endless
self-evaluation that continues through the week. That new arrangement was a complete flop. I bumbled my way through the comments between songs. That prayer was so stupid. That was like the dumbest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. (laughs) And of course we want evaluation, we need evaluation, but usually our self-evaluation is way off and it can tend to morbid introspection. We have two services at our church and I've more than one occasion had the experience of talking to one of the guys about how it went and I say, I feel like the you know, first service was awful, the second service went really well, I felt, and I'm just, they just look at me and say, they were the same. <laughs> like, they were exactly the same, and so I've learned that my self-evaluation tends to be way off. Either, isn't this true in our service? Either we're like, I did a good job, or it was awful. You know, the worst thing ever. Usually our service is probably somewhere in between uh, those extremes that we, that we tend toward. The point is not that, that, that evaluation is wrong. My concern is some of us are better at evaluating our service than we are at enjoying the favor of God on our service. You replay all your weaknesses and mistakes. You dwell on the paralyzing comparisons. You are condemned over mixed motives. You think my own pulse of worship seems so weak. What am I doing leading others in worship? I'm lucky if the worship leader or pastor ever asks me to serve again in my life. Listen to what J.C. Ryle writes on this point of knowing the God who does not overlook our service. I like J.C. Ryle enough to have named my first, I named my firstborn son Ryle. It's because of quotes like this. He says, you see no beauty in any action that you do. And that's where some of you are at in your service as you come to this conference, if you're honest. You see no beauty in any action you do. He says, all seems imperfect, blemished, and defiled, You are often sick at heart of your own shortcomings. But now know that Jesus can see some beauty in everything that you do from a conscientious desire to please him. His eye can discern excellence in the least thing, which is a fruit of his own spirit. He can pick out the grains of gold from amid the dross of your performances and sift the wheat from amid the chaff in all your doings. Your endeavors to do good to others, however feeble, are written in his book of remembrance. He does not forget your work and labor of love, however little the world may regard it. Oh, Christian, receive the comfort of God in this promise to you today. You may be disregarded by the world, overlooked and taken for granted by many, yet you have this great comfort for your soul. The Lord, your Savior, the God of the universe, says to you, I will not overlook your service of the saints. Do you believe that today? We need to give so much more attention to God's commendation of our service. Too often we feel like the real pleasure of God is reserved for, you know, acts of true religion. And of course we think we never do any of those. And so we rob ourselves of knowing his pleasure. Or we have this idea that we should be aware of God's grace in others. I actually used to think we should be aware of God's grace in others, but we should be unaware of God's grace in our own lives. 
right? Because wouldn't that be uh, pride? The challenge is, okay, what do you do with encouragement? Someone is telling me about God's grace in my life. Uh, I'm not supposed to be aware of that. You know, what do you do? Plug your ears, la, 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 la. You know, you just, you block it out. What if we're to be aware of the graces in our lives? What if we're to be aware of how God is pleased by our obedience and our service? I think this is exactly the case. The Puritan Richard Sibbs talked about how we need to know our own graces. He says the Christian should not only examine his heart for the evil that is in him to be humbled. Yes, do that. Not only examine his heart for the evil that is in him to be humbled, but also examine his heart for what good there is, that he may rejoice and be thankful. Do you ever examine your heart and life for what good is there, and do you thank God for it? After you serve, are you aware that God sees beauty in what you have done and rejoices over your service? I've started taking to do this just after I serve in a certain setting, putting this verse before me. God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. This sense of the Lord's pleasure in service, cultivate this in your life. Give yourself to cultivating this. It will transform the way that you think about serving others. Get rid of this idea of a God who rails against us about the worthlessness of our service. No, when you persevere in serving, even in small ways, even in ways that seem to go unnoticed by others, God will not forget. Every time you show patience to someone else on the worship team or welcome your pastor's adjustments and feedback or receive critique, every hour you spend wrestling over a song set or growing in musical skill to better serve God's people, God would have you know He sees, he delights, he will reward. Thank God he is not so unjust as to overlook your service. Second truth that will provide fuel for our service of the saints, value the true marks of faithful service. So it needs to be asked, what specifically does God value in service? What are the marks of True Christ-honoring success in service. Well, it's there in verse 10. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints. God will not overlook what he values, namely hard work and earnest love. Those are God's priorities in our service, the things he delights in. We do not read, God will not overlook your service so long as there is sufficient excellence and polish, for example. We're we're told here what matters most in our service. This is critical for us to understand. What matters most is not how great Your stage design or lightiness, I absolutely love the the stage design here. Fantastic. I came in, I was like, of course. I was explaining to everyone, you know, what it means. So thanks for your explanation, Bob. But 
We were tracking completely, most of us. What matters most in service is not the quality of your musical equipment, how many CDs you have produced, how cool you look, on and on and on. Even the skill level of the worship band is not what God cares most about. We need to learn the difference between what God values and what man values in service. And the worship industry may or may not teach that lesson. The reality is we tend to misplace priorities. We want something big, right? We want something that will impress. We want popularity. We want approval. We want a certain image. I find these verses challenge me and serve as a helpful reminder of what God is after in my service. Success in his eyes is work and love in serving others. And that means that Success can still be found in ordinary gifting. Thank God. It means that success can be found in small churches that are not growing numerically and have few resources. It means success can be found and is found in weakness. It's possible to have any number of problems, problems in the sound system. You start a song in the wrong key, and still be faithful in your service. Included in what God has said he will recognize, what he will reward is the unspectacular, the unnoticed, the things done for a small group or even one person. It's the guy in our church named Dave who plays worship songs for the elderly at the nursing home. It's the deacon in our church named Everett. He's served and led the sound team for 27 years now. Week in, week out. If work and love are the true marks of faithful service, it means you don't have to be a rock star in order to please God. Keep an eye on, I know others have talked about this, Keep an eye on the rock star tendency that we all have within us. I just find it's in my own heart as well. We tend to care way too much about image. When I was 10 years old, my favorite t-shirt, well, it's probably a tie between this one and my DC Talk uh, t-shirt, but my favorite t-shirt was a uh, a Shaq shirt. So it was an outline, a silhouette of Shaquille O'Neal dunking a ball and... uh, on it, it said, don't fake the funk on the nasty dunk. Uh, and, and I was like, I was like this tall. I was a short 10-year-old. And uh, but this, was my, this was my favorite, you know, shirt. And, well, that tells you, you know, what matters in a dunk, right? Now, I, I wasn't uh, in any danger of faking the funk on any uh, nasty dunks that I was doing. But this is what matters. If you're going to to dunk the ball, uh, you can't fake the funk, right? It's got to look good. It's got to look cool. That's That's what matters. Well, what is it that is valued by God in our service is something altogether different. Hard work and earnest love. This work and love, think about these two things they should be held together. God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and love that you showed in serving the saints. Work and love. 
Hard work is essential. It means you practice. It means you're willing to make sacrifices. It means you do your best to show up to practice on time. It means you have embraced that you are the one who is called to lead and serve the congregation on this particular occasion. You desire to use the gifts that you've been given to pursue excellence in musicianship as a worship leader. You know, there's a way to grow in greater skill and to pursue greater skill without being uh, discouraged by your present skill level. We need to learn that. Hard work is one of the things that God will not overlook, but this work doesn't stand alone. It exists alongside love. Just as Christ has loved us in giving his life for us, so we are called to a life of love in serving the saints. You can work hard, but if there is not love, will God notice and command? When we grow weary in service, it's often because we have lost sight of the love that drives our service. What does it mean to serve the saints in love? I remember reading someone who once said, uh, to love to preach is one thing, to love those to whom you are preaching is another. And I was immediately cut to the heart. Uh, uh, because I, lo I love preaching, well, that's one thing. Something else, to love those to whom you preach. The same can be said about serving the church in musical worship, being a worship leader. Some people love worship leading, but they are not as careful to love those they are leading in worship. It's about people. And love for those we are serving needs to be a conscious priority every time we serve. Friends, by the help of the Holy Spirit, seek to carry people on your heart as you lead, as you serve. Cultivate tenderness, cultivate compassion, pray for them, thank God for them, ask God to reveal himself to them, love them by calling their attention to Christ and him crucified, pick songs that will serve the congregation, not songs that make you sound really good, right? Oh, my voice is amazing on this one, you know. <laughs> you're looking to serve, you're looking to love. To minister in love means you refuse to be discouraged if people are not responsive. You refuse to speak to them in irritated or unloving ways, there can, there can be this tendency, especially if you want to see the church grow in, in worship in a certain area, uh, to, to develop this sort of low-grade uh, bitterness almost toward the congregation as a whole uh, that, that takes at least an attitude of why aren't you doing this better? And it can sometimes even make its way, you know, into the comments that we make during the singing. So the Psalms say a lot about expressiveness in worship. But a lot of you are either unfamiliar with that psalm <laughs> or completely blatantly disregarding it, you know? Let's continue to sing, I'm lifting up my hands... You know? And as you sing, you can decide whether or not you're lying. No, uh, we want to aim for, for
for graciousness. We want to aim for compassion. There will be areas that, that the congregation uh, might be weak, might need to grow in. But how do you approach that area? Do you desire to serve and to help even in those areas? That's part of what it means to serve in love. Love also means you're not driven by a sense of competition or an awareness of the pecking order. You know that idea of those who are serving? Love means we don't insist that our service find expression in a specific way, that we learn to ask, uh, how can I serve? So if you see a need, you move toward it because we're serving for the good of the church. So maybe you, you know, you're a drum player, you've always been a drum player. Well, there are three other drum players in the church and uh, how do we say this? They're better than you. And, um, but, you know, uh, the setup team needs help. And so here's an opportunity for you to serve. You know, one of the, t- one of the seasons of my life where God did uh, a deep work when it comes to serving others was serving the church in setting up children's ministry when I would have much rather been preaching the word. Right? Uh, my gifting, my call is the ministry of the word. Well, what if it's the ministry of, uh, you know, putting together the big foam puzzle pieces in children's ministry that is where the need is? Be driven by love. Serve the saints. This love is what God calls us to. This work is what God calls us to. And I want to be sure you realize that that many of you, I see these kinds of servants all around me, faithfully working hard, faithfully loving the saints in their service. And God wants us to know that he will not overlook those things. These are what he delights in. These are what he values. And so continue on, Christians, in your work, in your love, just as you are doing, do so more and more. Value the marks of faithful service, the work, the love that you show in serving the saints. Third point, remember the goal of faithful service. There's a phrase there in verse 10, for his sake. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love, here it is, that you showed for his sake in serving the saints. For his sake means that we Serve others, yes, but we serve others for the fame of God's name. We are in it ultimately for the glory of God. We serve the saints, we do it with work and with love, but our service of others is grounded in our greater love for the glory of God. It's the same thing that you see in 2 Corinthians 4, 3. We saw this last night. We are your servants for Jesus' sake. So who who are we serving? Servants of others for whose sake? Jesus. 
for his sake. And this is a point that must be made if we are to avoid growing weary and sluggish in our service. If you serve for the approval of others, if you serve driven by the encouragement you receive from others, or if this is all about your reputation, I can guarantee your discouragement. You know, worship leading is a really bad thing to get into if you're after your own glory because God is fiercely committed to his own glory. He's promised he will not give his glory to another and we are stepping into that moment, the gathering, when God delights to glorify his name. He will be lifted up and so if if self-promotion is your motive, you're gonna grow weary. And I believe God would have us and is helping us to see every opportunity to serve, every opportunity to minister to the saints as an opportunity that, that you have, that I have, to do something for the sake of God's name. It'll change the way you think about service. I don't know if, if you remember the first time you served on a Sunday morning at your church or what that uh, experience was like for you. I clearly remember the first time that I preached a sermon uh, at Covenant Fellowship Church, the church uh, that I'm now a pastor at. I was there as an intern, summer of 2006. There was a sermon series called Serve uh, that, that the church was doing. It was the Tuesday, uh, the week, the, just days before that Sunday, the week of, when the assignment came to me uh, that I would be, that I'd be preaching that, that Sunday. Uh, and Paul Tripp had come to the church and had preached just that, that Sunday before. <laughs> and so I did what any you know, pastoral intern who's eager to serve the people of God uh, would do. I absolutely panicked. Uh, how can I do this with so little time? Have you ever done a preparation like out of a sense of fear and anxiety? That's always a really joyful, exhilarating uh, experience. I don't recommend it. And so I'm there. I do not have time. And then why does it have to, this thought just keeps coming through my head. Why does it have to be that Paul Tripp, of all people, you know, just preached the week before? You know, it's like, you know, record CD sale. I mean, he's, you know, he's there. He, he, the guy, you know, doesn't need notes at all. He's got the whole sermon in his head. Everything he says is profound. He has that a mustache. You know, it's incredible. <laughs> he walks around the stage. He holds his Bible like he's walking a dog. You know, that's what, what he did. I just thought, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be, I'm going to be nervous. And so I'm completely paralyzed by this, by this awareness of, of self that, that can so easily become all-consuming. And so I, I was anxious, I over-prepared, I had way too much material, I was plagued with self-awareness. And the real kicker was because I had way too much material, I was having to cut parts as I went along, and I ended up cutting the part about Jesus <laughs> uh, in the sermon. I, afterwards, I was just like, how did I cut the part about Jesus, you know? <laughs> Of any part to cut, that was the part that I should just get up and say only that. <laughs> and I remember, even as I think back on that, I remember God graciously 
gently reproving me in that following week through the sermon text that I had spent that week before anxiously studying and, and preaching on. So often it's the case for me that, that uh, God has me in a sermon text for the sake of my own soul, and he often is faithful to, to challenge and to reprove me from his word. The sermon text was 1 Peter four eleven. whoever serves, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. What is the goal of serving the saints? Not my glory, not your glory, for his sake. We serve for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. This is the goal of all of our service. And this is the reason that God's response to your service is a matter of his justice, his righteousness, his faithfulness. God is not so unjust as to overlook. He calls attention to your service. He rejoices in it, not ultimately because this is about you. In fact, it's not about you. He rejoices in our service because it is done for his sake, for his name, for his glory. God's rejoicing in our service that's done for his name is an expression of his commitment to his own glory. How can I see something being done for my own name and not delight in it? Is the posture of our Father in heaven. So in our service to others, God must be bigger than people. Remember, this is why you got into serving in the first place. This is why you got into musical worship in the first place. It wasn't ultimately about people, and it certainly wasn't about you. It was about worship. It was about what your Savior has done for you. Paul can say, if I were still pleasing people, I would not be a slave of Christ. I am not bound to pleasing people in my service. The reason you serve, the reason you worship is because God put a song in your heart and you could not but sing. And our hope in serving the people of God in worship What has it been for you? It hasn't been position. It hasn't been your reputation. It hasn't been about how often you serve or what people think about you. Christ died to free you from that and has placed in your heart a desire to do all you do for the sake of the name. You serve for the sake of the name of God. For his sake. When John Calvin was banished uh, from Geneva, this is what he, he said. Think, have you ever been mistreated by those you serve? Have you ever failed to have the approval of others? This is what Calvin said when he was banished. Most assuredly, if I had merely served man, this would have been a poor recompense. But it is my happiness that I have served him 
who never fails to reward his servants to the full extent of his promise. We all reach a point at times in our service where we think, if I'm just doing this for people, what's the point? And it's in those moments that God reminds us that we do it for his sake. It is my happiness that I have served him who never fails to reward his servants to the full extent of his promise. This is the goal of our service. There's one other goal mentioned in verse 11. Let me mention this before we move on to the last point. Verse 11 gives another goal of faithful service that we must remember. So still under this this third point. And that is the goal of maintaining assurance of hope. Look at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So the the verb show there is repeated from the previous verse, remember the, the work and love that you showed in serving the saints. And now we desire each one of you to show Uh, the same earnestness, that same kind of earnestness we were just talking about, what was shown, now we desire all to show it. So it's meaning that the, the earnestness, the passion, is one that is directed toward loving service of the saints. But here we're told that the goal of this passion for service is what? It is maintaining the full assurance of of hope. We want to keep our hope alive until the end, till Christ returns or calls us home. And the way to do this is through a life of faithful service. It is those who persevere in service who attain the full assurance of our coming hope. And the reason for this is that one of the signs of true conversion is this desire to serve the saints. As we serve, we are giving evidence of our salvation. Serving is a sign that we belong to Jesus, the one who came and lived a life of service, the one who washed feet, the one who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So know that one of the goals of our service, we serve for the glory of the name of God, his sake, and we serve so that we will have this full assurance of that hope that is coming until the end. Moving on, fourth point, last one. How do we inspire, fan into flame, faithful service, Fourth point, imitate examples of faithful service. And this is verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice the contrast that's here. We will either be sluggish or we will be imitators of the faithful. So that you may not be sluggish, but instead, in contrast, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One of the ways to counter the the sluggishness that we are prone to, that we lean toward, right? You want to cut against that? You want to work against that? How do you do it? Get examples of 
endurance in faithful service in your life. Look to examples. Imitate examples. Many have gone before us and through their faith and, in patient, and their patience, they inherit the promises. Peachy O'Brien commenting on this verse says, such imitation meant not only listening to what was said, but also following the pattern of the person's life. Those worthy of imitation here are marked by faith and patience, which can be rendered faithful perseverance or steadfast faith. Oh, that's what we're aiming for. Steadfastness, constancy, faithfulness, rather than sluggishness, rather than faint-heartedness. Occasionally, uh, and it's very occasionally, I, I run with my wife. Uh, which you think would be fun because I, I love spending time with her. The problem is uh, my wife Megan was a cross-country All-American in college, uh, which means that she makes me look like a wimp every time we run. So that's why I keep it occasionally. In college, uh, I was in a little bit better shape and I would sometimes go running only with, with Megan. I would join her uh, for runs. And she did the seven-mile training runs that and longer at times but you know that's just that was her everyday sort of thing and she would make it look like an absolute walk in the park and I was like you've got to be kidding me because I was absolutely killing myself trying to keep up and as well you know because uh we were just dating at that point I liked her but we weren't married so I I have to impress this girl and so I'm doing all that I can, you know, to, to woo and to wow with my athletic prowess. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with this girl. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with her. Uh, you know, this is probably, she runs so much, it's probably what she's attracted to in a guy. Well, so I remember one time we went and did this, I don't know if it was like five-mile run. It was, it was a long run. I didn't run at all, but I would do this occasionally, and I'd stick with her. Well, she noticed as we were, were running on this particular occasion that... Uh, that it seemed like I was having an especially hard time uh, keeping up with her. So she asks, are you doing okay? I say, you know, yeah, I'm doing fine. She's talking the whole time. I can't talk and run. Like, this is requiring all of my, my concentration here. Uh, apparently, I started to not look well at all. Uh, because, because Megan, as we're running, she said, do you feel okay? You, uh, you don't look well. And to me, it's like, this is nightmare situation to say, I need to stop, we need to slow down. She had asked several times, do we need to slow down? Nope, good, you know, keep it up. I started to get sick as I'm running. And I would be like the last person to say, all right, I'm going to stop. Uh, you know, I'll keep going. I would rather drop down dead. You know, he, he died trying to keep up with a girl that he liked while they were, while they were running together. Let that be the obituary. She said, she said, how about you stop here? Because at this point I was like, I was pale. She said, I'll, I'll finish the run and then I'll loop back and do this loop back around and then maybe you can do you know, the rest with me. So I said, okay. So I'm there waiting. While I'm waiting, I throw up. I continue to feel even more sick. So she comes back after some time and, uh, and sees that I'm still not feeling well. I tell her that I threw up. She says, how about I go get the car and I'll come back and pick you up. So I was like, this is a nightmare 
And so she goes back and gets the car. And what was supposed to be this effort for me to impress her, right, through this, this endurance in running ends up being like this good Samaritan effort where she comes up, picks up this kid laying on the side of the road who threw up, puts him, you know, back into the, the car. Somehow she still married me. And so I don't know what possibly explains it. Get examples in your life of perseverance. You know, I, I use that as an example because I look at that and I think that is not what I want my life to be of doing the race halfway, not even halfway, and then failing, collapsing on the roadside, puking, unable to go on because of a failure of perseverance. It's not what I want my spiritual life to be. It's not what I want my service to be. Christian, don't be sluggish. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience, faithful perseverance, steadfast faith, inherit the promises. Is imitation part of your plan for perseverance? Who will you imitate? In Hebrews 13, 7, the author talks about remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate, there it is, imitate their faith. I thank God that God has given me examples in life of faithful service over time, people to imitate. Last week we had a pastors and wives retreat on our team and we took time uh, to celebrate the grace of God on one of the fellow pastors, in fact he's here at the conference, Marty Machowski, for 25 years of pastoral ministry there in the church and we talked about it and we praised God for it. Faithful perseverance, steadfast faith. And the writer of Hebrews fleshes out this call to imitation then later, most fully in chapter 11, right? Uh, Biblical examples, remember Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. Get these examples into your head so that you can be motivated to not be sluggish but to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. But... In all of this, most importantly, when we are called to imitate those who through faith and patience endure, we must consider the example, the ultimate example that we have in our Lord Jesus. And after Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 12 continues, let us run with endurance. That's what we want, not sluggishness, endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every one of you has a race set before you. Run it with endurance. How do we do it? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do you fight against weariness? How do you fight against faint-heartedness, sluggishness? Fix your eyes on the ultimate perfect example of perseverance, the ultimate servant. See this one man fixing his eyes on the joy that was set before him. 
See how he hangs there and bleeds for you and for me. He despises the shame. Look to Jesus so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. Weary souls can do no better than to look to Jesus. And we can receive no better counsel than to fix our eyes as we run this race on Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And what he did in his death, brothers and sisters, is the greatest example of service that this world has ever known. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We fix our eyes on him. The eyes of faith fixed upon him as we run this race. That, friends, is the ultimate example and the ultimate motivation for faithful service. You will not grow sluggish in serving others when you are at the foot of the cross. So the heart of God in these verses and the heart of God for us is that you would know that as you spend yourself in faithful service, as you sacrifice to serve God's people, as you serve in musical worship, God sees. God sees, he sees your work, he sees your love, he sees your perseverance, he sees you doing it all for his sake. And so Christian, take heart. Your faithful service is a great delight to our faithful God. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen.